a human being and to be with us. We think of uh, the second message where uh, we realize that all of us are sinners and we need a sac sacrifice for our sins. That uh, there is none that is righteous, the scripture says, and uh, as a result of that, uh, we spoke about many animals that were sacrificed, all of them a picture of what was going to take place when the perfect sacrifice was given. So we have, we have the sacrifices, uh, and then uh, when we come to this part uh, of the messages on incarnation, uh, we realize that having a sacrifice is not sufficient <clears throat> because there has to be somebody to offer the sacrifice. Now in the Protestant church, uh, we do not have per se a priest. Uh, we think of the Roman Catholics. Uh, of course, uh, you have the priest that serves in the, in the, in the local diocese. We have uh, those that are higher up the chain. You think about uh, when you get way up there, who is it? It's the Pope, isn't it? It's the Pope. And uh, so uh, you think, well, we, we don't have a priest. We're Protestants. Uh, but that is not true, is it? Because if we have a sacrifice and do not have a priest to offer it, then we have a missing link. There is, there is a void there because we ourselves cannot offer that sacrifice. And so the Bible says that we have a high priest. And that high priest, uh, Hebrew writer talks about it here, uh, he says in verse 14, seeing then that we have a great high priest, is what it says in the, in the King James Bible, in the King James Version of the Bible. Uh, reading what a uh, commentator says about this, he said that that word great actually uh, stands for high also. So, uh, he says this, this verse actually is saying, seeing that then that we have a high, high priest. So I don't know if you get the idea of that or not, but uh, think about the Old Testament high priest. The first priest, first high priest in the Levitic, Levitical system of sacrifice, the Mosaic law was Moses' brother, wasn't it? Uh, Moses' brother is Aaron. So Aaron was the first priest. And the scripture tells us then that his family members after him served in that position. Some of them were disqualified because they were disobedient. And that's another story in itself. 
uh, how God dealt with them in judgment when they sinned against him and when they took lightly what they were supposed to be doing, uh, that they were supposed to, they were supposed to bring hallowed fire and instead they brought common fire. They didn't bring it from the altar and uh, they, were, they were struck down. Um, so it teaches us that it is very important when we talk about our worship of the Lord that we do it with a reverent, obedient heart. That some have, have grown careless, some have treated it, the Christian worship, uh, in this case I'm addressing as though it is really not that important. You can just do whatever you want to do. Uh, but the Bible does not teach that. The Bible teaches us that God has laid down rules and laws and we best respect those for our own well-being because he is aware of what we're doing and how we're doing it. So I always want to keep, always want to keep that special reverence. You can call it fear if you want to, but it's reverence. It is saying, he is above me, uh, he has laid down the rules, and as such, I want to follow those rules and show respect and, and show that I am obedient to him. You know, when, uh, when we have uh, dignitaries in government, uh, there are certain, certain rules of etiquette, etiquette, aren't there, that uh, we follow. And uh, we show deference. We show respect. Uh, we show uh, a recognition of their position. Maybe, maybe we, can't, we don't really like the person, but we respect the position, don't we? Say this person is in this position, and some of them even have... Uh, honorable uh, before their name because that is a part of their title. They are, they are considered to be honorable. And if they're less than honorable, uh, they still hold the position. And so in that position, uh, we recognize that there's certain honor that's due to them. And so with the situation with Christ, uh, he became a high priest. If you read the book of Hebrews, you find that Jesus did not appoint himself to be a high priest. And I thought about going in depth into this part of the priesthood of Christ, but I felt it not wise because uh, it gets too involved and and some of you kind of get lost along the way. You need to read it in the book of Hebrews and see what I'm talking about, that uh, there was no priest that came out of the tribe of Judah. Jesus is of the tribe of Judah. Uh, the Levitical tribe was the priestly tribe. So uh, the priests all came out of the tribe of Levi, till we get to Jesus. 
Now, when we're talking about tribes, we're talking about family groups. Just to clarify it for you a little bit, there were, there were 12 family groups. And, uh, and so each group had their own spe specific significance. So Levi's family was the family that supplied the priests, supplied the people that took care of the, of the holy furniture and all the things that had to do with the temple. That all changed very quickly when the Romans conquered the Jews. Uh, it, was, it was a high priest appointed by the Roman official, so it wasn't, didn't even follow in accordance with what the scriptures taught. But uh, when we talk about the high priesthood of Jesus, he was not of the tribe of Levi. And so he would have no, he would have no place in being a priest. If he said, uh, I've decided I want to be a priest, he'd be disqualified because he was not of that tribe. But God had already taken care of this before the time when Jesus came into this world as a baby. Of course, he existed before he came as a baby, didn't he? He is the eternal son of God. So as the eternal son of God, he came into our world. He is not a product of our world. He was not born as a human being and then ascended to the position of Godhead. But he is a human being that is divinely conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary. So he existed before he became a human being. And he took a human body, came into the world. So how does, how does he become a priest? Not by his own appointment, as I said, or that would not, that would not stand scrutiny. <coughs> he becomes a priest because before there was a tribe of Levi, God spoke to the originator of the Hebrew nation, and that is Abraham. Abraham the Hebrew. Abraham was the, the great one to whom God said, I'm going to bless all the nations through you. And they that bless you will be blessed, and they that curse you will be cursed. And so God, during the time of Abraham, instituted a priesthood, and it's called the priesthood of Melchizedek. Now that's a tough one, isn't it? Melchizedek. Uh, say it with me so you, so you can say the word anyhow. Melchizedek. Melchizedek. Let's do it again. Melchizedek. Melchizedek was not of the tribe of Levi. There was no tribe of Levi. But God spoke before the birth of 
Levi. And in prophecy, he said, you are going to be a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek had no records of his birth, of his death. God said of his eternal son, you are going to be a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. No beginning of days. Now we know Melchizedek had to be born, but there's no record. And there's no record of his death. So standing on that and looking at it from that viewpoint, as Christ has no beginning and has no end. And so God said to his son, you are going to be a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. You're going to be a priest with no beginning and no end. And so you're not going to be of the tribe of Levi. And so let's go back here to verse 14 again. Seeing then that we have a great high priest. <coughs> Excuse me. The high priest would have been Aaron. There would have been those, his sons, that served under him. He would have been the top of the chain. And then following him, of course, down through the generations, his sons, until the Romans messed that up. So God is not just saying here under inspiration, the Hebrew writer saying this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, we have a high priest. So I took off the word great for a reason. We have a high priest. So we have a priest. We have a high priest. He's not, he's not on the lower level. He's a high priest. And so uh, if, if we were to look at earthly chain of command, we'd say he's the top. He's a high priest. He's Aaron. He's a high priest. And so they, they, wore, a, they wore a big, we'd call it a bonnet. Uh, Sister Doris isn't here today for me to talk about her bonnets, but I guess I, she won't care. She's overseeing a play that is at her daughter's church. <clears throat> so <coughs> it was a designation that this was the high priest, he was over all of them. <coughs> Sometimes a cough drop and water just doesn't help immediately. And so the Hebrew writer is adding on to that. He says, we have a great, or we have a higher high priest we don't just have a high priest. We have a high, high priest. We're above, we're above the highest of this world. And that high priest is Christ. So you talk about any kind of priesthood in this world. We're going above that. We're going, we're going to uh, the highest high priest. 
Jesus is our priest. And he is, has passed through the heavens. Uh, it says in the King James, he's passed into the heavens. They watched him as he left this earth, didn't they? And he, you know, some people don't really, really think about the ascension of Christ. But he ascended, and they watched him as, he, as the clouds received him out of their sight. And we know where he ended up. Because the Bible tells us in Hebrews, and if you look in, still in Hebrews, at the third verse of chapter 1, It says, when he, and it's talking about Jesus, had by himself purged our sins, so this highest, higher than the highest priest, Jesus, paid the penalty for our sins, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. So he is seated at the right hand of the Father. And you say, how do you know that he's at the right hand of the Father? The Bible says that when Stephen, the first martyr of the church, was being stoned to death because of his testimony for Jesus, and Stephen wasn't even a, he wasn't even a preacher. He was a deacon. And he had begun to testify. He kind of stepped out of line a little bit some, sometimes God starts using people other than preachers to preach his word. And Stephen was doing that, and the Bible tells us that he angered the Jews of his day when he insisted that Christ Jesus rose from the dead. The scripture says that when they came against him, he looked up and he said, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the throne of God. We know where Jesus is. He's at the right hand of the throne of God. Here he was seated, Hebrews says, but welcoming the first Christian martyr, he stood at the death of Stephen. So we know where our great, our higher than the highest high priest is. He's passed through the heavens and he's at the right hand of the throne of God. And it says in verse 15, well, the last part of verse 14 is very important. Let us hold fast our profession. Folks, we have to do that. We have to hold fast our profession of faith. The world is trying all in every way it can to shake us loose from our position of faith and trust in Christ. We must keep our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And we must witness to the fact that our faith is in Jesus Christ, that he is our savior. For we do not have a high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Now, if you look in the NIV in this, it's worded a little bit different. It says that we do not have a high priest that cannot sympathize 
with our, with our weaknesses. And weaknesses include sins committed. And so we do not have a high priest that cannot be sympathetic to us. Now when, when you think about infirmities, you think about weakness, you think about failure, and when you think about being sympathetic, it is a feeling, isn't it? You say, oh, I sympathize. I, I feel bad for you. But all the sympathy in the world does not change things. Now, it may move you to do something, but just sympathy itself does not do anything. But in this case, when, this Bi when the Bible talks about he can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, it is a touch that makes a difference. It is the touch of Jesus that makes a difference when we're going through hard times. He is actually able to change the circumstances, to change the problems. And he is there for us. He can understand our weaknesses because he is one who came and became a human being. So he knows the strength and the power of temptation. But he has the ability to help us, to strengthen us, to cleanse our hearts so that we can resist temptation. He knows how to do it. He did it. He went on the Mount of Temptation, didn't he? And the devil, after the demons worked on him for a while and tried to soften him up, then the devil himself came. And old Satan offered everything he could to, get, to try to dissuade Jesus from going all the way to the cross. He could gain his popularity. He could gain fame. He could gain recognition. He could have the kingdoms of the world. The devil said, I'll give them to you. Of course, you know, the devil's a liar. So what he's promising doesn't mean he would deliver it on. And so Christ conquered every one of those temptations. But the devil wasn't through with him, was he? Because he had to go through this world with the taunts and the ridicule. He had to hang on the cross and listen to them throwing challenges at him. If you're, the, if you're really the son of God, come down from the cross. But he couldn't do it and be our savior. He went through the garden of Gethsemane. And even though it was detestable to him to think about taking your sin on himself. You know, some people say, well, Jesus didn't, just didn't want to die the death on the cross. I assure you this morning, Jesus was not afraid to die. If you have these terrorists that strap a bomb on themselves and, and blow themselves up for their cause, you think, you think our higher than the highest priest, the blessed Son of God, was afraid of death itself? He knew 
He knew death could not hold him. The scripture says that he came to conquer death. So he wasn't afraid to die, but he did detest taking the filth, the sin of the world on himself. They tell us that, that an ermine who is a white, a very white animal lives to the north. That one way they do of capturing an ermine is they find where the den is and they smear black grease around the opening so that the ermine cannot go in the hole without getting the black grease upon itself. And the hunters will pursue the ermine until they know he's going to go to the den. And when he goes to the den, he will not go in because he does not want to get the filth, the black, on that pretty coat. And so he allows himself to be captured. Think of, think of the blessed Son of God. Yes, he tasted death for every man. He became sin for us who knew no sin. He, he detested sin, but he took it on himself for us. Yes, he was tempted. Father, if it be your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So he submitted himself to be the sin bearer. And all of our sins came to bear on him, the sins of the world. He could do that as the son of God. A human being could not have done that himself, but he is the divine son of God. And as the divine son of God, he could take our sins on himself. And so uh, the scripture says, now he's there for us. He's our great high priest. And he's there to plead our case and our cause. Unlike the sons of Aaron, they were just priests for a short time. He's the eternal priest. There's no one that we're waiting on to take his place. The scripture tells us that what he did for us, he did once and it was adequate for all time. We don't have to worry about Jesus retiring. We've heard about a couple retirements that are high-profile retirements in the last week, haven't we? I'm glad to announce to you this morning, I'm not going to tell you Jesus is retiring. <laughs> Jesus is going to stay on the job. He's always going to be there for us. He's going to be our higher-than-the-highest priest. And the scripture says that he knows everything about us. And that's amazing, isn't it? He knows everything about us, and he still loves us. We have, we have a great high priest. And because we have a priest that's higher than the highest priest, we can come to him with our sin problem, ask his forgiveness, and he wants us to do that. Hebrew, or, uh, Isaiah 53rd chapter of Isaiah 
tells us he's going to see what his suffering accomplished. I hope, I hope when Jesus looks at his suffering and looks at each one of us individually that have come to trust him, that he feels a sense of satisfaction to know. I died for them and their life has changed and they're following in my way, they're following in my commandments and I'm satisfied with what I did. I'm satisfied with what I accomplished. I'm satisfied that I brought salvation to them and that they know what it is to be righteous because I became sin for them so they could be the, made the righteousness of God through me. Yes, what does Christ's incarnation mean to you? It should be life-changing. It should be life-changing. We have, we have a high priest that is a go-between us and God the Father. He's there to plead our case, our cause. Charles Wesley wrote the song that talks about the wounds of Christ pleading for us. The wounds of Christ, his hands, his feet, his side, pleading for us. His sacrifice was a great sacrifice. Who could ever, who could ever apply the sacrifice? Only the Son of God himself. So he died for us, but death couldn't hold him. He came back to life, and he's alive forevermore. And the scripture says he's conquered the grave. He's got, he's a living priest that applies his own sacrifice to our lives. Isn't that a wonderful thing? That he not only is our sacrifice, but he is our priest. And we have a wonderful Savior. Will you stand with me this morning? Ask you to bow your heads this morning. <clears throat> if you don't know the present cleansing power of Christ for your sin, I invite you to come. You need to know Jesus as your personal savior it needs to be an up-to-date experience. Sometimes we think, well, I can do this, you know, this. I know it's really not what the Bible says I should be doing, but <clears throat> I, I think I'll be okay. The Bible teaches us that God does not overlook sin that we are responsible. And so, whatever the sin is, if it's some kind of lying or cheating, if it's some kind of perversion, the Lord knows. And you're able to bring that to Him this morning. Ask for His forgiveness.
and know his present cleansing power for you. Anybody else that wants to come and pray this morning?